Man, you guys look great. Amen. Amen. Only Jesus. You know, sometimes when you have uh, holidays, uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, and you, uh, the whole family's not there at one time, you know, you, somebody's missing, it doesn't quite feel the same. Well, today it just feels great. The whole family's here. Amen. And so, amen. <clears throat> and so let me take the opportunity to say to each of you how much I love you guys. So grateful for you. And so grateful for what God continues to do at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. He is wonderful Savior. Amen? Well, we're going to start a new series today. Somebody asked me just a little while ago, okay, so how long is this one going to last? It's going to last all year, all right? We're going all through the, the Gospel of John from chapter 1 all the way to the very last chapter of John. And we're going to take a little break in the summertime of about four weeks or so, but we're going to go all the way through and think this way, thinking about only Jesus. You know, as we come to this particular passage of Scripture, we think about the eternal words, what this first part is talking about in chapters 1, verses 1 through 18. And I have a privilege of, in, in my profession as a pastor, talking to people. I get to meet a lot of people a lot of times, a lot of different places, whether that's at a wedding or even at funerals or just out in the marketplace and just get to meet a lot of people. And you probably have had some of those opportunities as well, just through life as you meet people. And as you meet people for the first time, here's some questions that we typically ask or are asked of us. It's things like, okay, so what's your name and, and what do you do and where are you from? So does that sound familiar? Those are some things that we typically would ask when we meet somebody for the first time. And so as we come now to the Gospel of John, this is exactly what John is writing in his Gospel. He sets the tone of answering the question, who is Jesus and what has he done? That's the que- those are the questions that he is answering in the gospel as he writes this letter to both the Jew and to the Gentile. He's writing for us to know who he is, who Jesus is, and what he has done. And what we see is that Jesus is far superior than anyone else. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so as we walk through this passage of scripture and we walk through this this, uh, uh, series on the gospel of John, we're going to look at only Jesus. And really the the subtitle of the series is Seeing the Savior in a Selfie World. Now, if you don't know what a selfie is, a selfie is when you take your phone out, typically, and you hold it up and you have the camera facing you and you take a picture of yourself. And we live in that type of a world where we love to do that. We love to take selfie pictures. And, and, uh, And just so you know that every generation is a selfie generation. You don't have to have one of those phones, by the way. Amen? We all are a selfish people. We're very much about ourselves. And so what we're wanting to do in this series, as we think about only Jesus, is what we want to do is we want to set aside our selfiness. We want to set aside our trophies. We want to set aside our accolades. We want to set aside our kudos. We want to set aside our social media prettied up selves. And we want to set aside all of those things and simply look to the Savior. That's what we want to do today. That's what we want to do this whole year. This is what we want to do as believers. As we come to the Gospel of John, John states the overall purpose of writing this Gospel, writing this book at the end of the gospel in chapter 20, verse 31, where he says these words, 
that these are written, now listen, that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. Now, beloved, listen, life, real life, is found in Jesus Christ. Life, real life, is in him. It's not in your work. It's not in your works. It's not in your way. It's not in your ways. Life is not found in your skills. Life is not found in your accomplishments. Life is not in your preferences. Life is in him. And the idea that life is found in the things of this world or in the things which I do, that the life is found in that which I accomplish is a lie that is straight from the pit. Life is in him, Jesus, alone. And so what we want to do is we want to see who he is all this year of only Jesus. And ultimately there's only one name to remember. It's not my name. And it's not your name. It's the name of Jesus. Amen? All right. Well, I primed the pump. Now let's move on. All right? So we're going to look now in John chapter 1. If you would, in honor reverence to the word of God. If you would stand and honor for his word. Uh, as we believe it is the inerrant word of God. And so we want to read, I want to read this for you, verses 1 through 18, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man, a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. That all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was of Him, this is He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And we pray, Father, that you would have your way as we hear the word proclaimed this morning, that your spirit has already been working in our hearts today as we're gathered here or started to gather here today. We pray that you would work in our hearts to call us to yourself to the place we need to be. Lord, to turn our attention away from ourselves and make our attention on you, the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that we'd walk away, not saying what a great preacher Joey is, but what a great Savior Jesus is. Father, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives today. 
Lord, that you would be glorified and exalted that we cannot help but to tell the people around us what a great Savior you are, what a wonderful King you are, what a wonderful Master you are, and what you've done for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you picked up a bulletin today, as you you came in, you see there's an outline there that we're going to be walking through just a little bit. And what we find here, as we mentioned already, is that John here sets the tone here in this first chapter by beginning his gospel and this good news to the Jew and to the Gentile. He answers the question, as we said, as to who Jesus is and what he has done. And he uses language that both Jews and Gentiles would understand in that day. He tells us here that Jesus, the Word, is the eternal Word. And as the eternal word, the first thing that we want to see is, is that we are to be in awe of his greatness. We're to be in awe of his greatness. Jesus is great. Amen? Jesus is great. And we're going to be in awe of his greatness as we walk through this first part. And I'll tell you, just so as we move along in the first point, you're going to think, we are never going to get out of here today. <laughs> that the bulk of the message is in the first point, all right? The second point's very short, so just to give you a little hope there, okay? So as we look here at this, being in awe of his greatness, the first thing they want to see about being in awe of his greatness is we want to see the greatness, first off, of his revelation, The greatness of his revelation. And we see in verse 1 and 2 what that revelation is. John writes, in the beginning, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He uses some key words, and in each of these four subpoints, you can see there's some key points that we see. And the first one here, in the greatness of his revelation, we see the key words are Word and God. And they're important because the Word is God. So, so, and he uses this word, the eternal word, for a purpose, so that both the Jews and Gentiles could grasp as to who Jesus is. D.A. Carson, in trying to explain why John possibly would have used the word, word logos in the Greek, word, to describe who Jesus is, he says that John likely looks back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, we know in the Old Testament, the Old Testament teaches us that God creates and rules by his word, that he reveals himself by his word, and that he rescues and delivers by his word. So in short, Dr. Carson says, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation, and the personification of the word makes it suitable for John to apply as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. What does all that mean? It means that the word here points to the revelation that he, Jesus, is God. So the word reveals who God is. As we have talked about in times past about our words and the things that come out of our mouth, we also know that words reveal things about us, right? That the words in which we use, when we use words, words reveal things about us. Amen? That when we say things, it reveals what's in our hearts and what's in our minds. And so as we see here that Jesus is the Word of God, we see that He is God's Word 
to reveal God's heart and God's mind to us. Jesus is the revelation of God because Jesus is God. As the Son of God, he fully conveys and communicates who God is. Here's the greatness of his revelation. He reveals God because he is God. And so here we see that greatness. John uses some words there to point back to the greatness of God as he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, you immediately, you know where John is getting that from. All the way back in Genesis, as God inspired Moses to write those words, in the beginning, God. And so John uses the same wording here. In the beginning was the word. So he is telling us that Jesus is God in the beginning. With God was God in the beginning with God. So he, is, he tells us he is in the beginning even before the beginning. Jesus goes further back than creation. John here is reaching back into the eternal. He is saying that the word, the eternal word, is eternal God, that he is pre-existent, that in the beginning, Jesus was already there. The Bible here says that he was the word, was with God, was God, was in the beginning with God. The word was is in the imperfect tense, which really means that it's the, he was continuing. So it's meaning that it says in the, begin, in the beginning, he was continuing as the word. In the beginning, he was continuing with God, and the word was continually to be God. It is in the imperfect tense. So one commentator says that Jesus always was wasn't. He always was, wasn't. He always was, amen? He is the eternal God. And it says he was with God, meaning he, there's an intimate relationship with God the Father. He was God, meaning he is God. He is God in substance. He is God in character. He is God in essence. The word, Jesus and the Father are not identical, but yet they are one, as well as the Holy Spirit. G John introduces Jesus with the greatness of his revelation. And so who is this one that John is talking about? Well, we're going to learn about this one throughout this year as we talk about only Jesus. Who is this one? Well, he's the one who walked among us. He's the one who taught with authority. He's the one who heals. He's the one whom the wind and the waters obey. He's the one who broke cultural barriers. He's the one who multiplies and satisfies. And he's the one through whom the dead are raised. Who is that one? He is Jesus. And he is God. And he is great. Amen. And so as we think about him and we be in awe of his greatness, it takes us away from looking at who I think I am to realizing who he really is. Amen? So we're going to be in awe of his greatness, the greatness of his revelation, but then also the greatness of his creation. Second sub-point there. The greatness of his creation. Look at verses 3 and 4. The Bible here tells us, still speaking about the word, who is Jesus, that all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so the key word here is made. Who is this Jesus, and what did he do? Well, he's the creator, and he made it all. That's who he is and what he's done. He is God. He is the creator. John Genesis chapter 1 tells us how God brought the universe into being by his creative word, that God spoke, and it happened, and it was good. And here John tells us that that, that is Jesus in verse 3. That 
All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. All things were made through him. The eternal word, Jesus, is the creator. There's greatness of his creation. He is the one who creates. Well, well, Pastor, I don't know that I ever thought about that. I don't know if he really is the creator or not. Well, that's a good question. Let's look at a couple other places, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it tells us, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. It's through Jesus Christ that we are, and it's through Jesus Christ that we live. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, it tells us this, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Whether it's visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, watch this, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Not only did he create everything, but he continues to hold everything together. Jesus. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 says, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, that's Jesus, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the greatness of our creator, who is the eternal word, who is Jesus Christ. He is our creator. And in Revelation 4, verse 11, we see the saints singing, and we will sing this one day, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for, watch this, You created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. By your will they exist and were created. Jesus Christ, we stand in awe at the greatness of his creation in that he is the creator. And verse 4, we also see here, in him was life and the life was the light of men. You see, he, Jesus, is our creator, but he is also the source of our life. It is because of Jesus that right now you have exhaled and inhaled. It is right now because of Jesus your heart is beating. Right now because of Jesus you can think about what you are hearing and rationalize and, and think these things through. It's because of Jesus. You might think that you have life today because you had a good breakfast this morning and you're going to have a good lunch this afternoon and you take good care of eating just right. Or maybe you think that you have life right now because you do all the exercises and you get up really early in the morning, you run 100 miles or whatever it is, you think you got it because you, this is how you are, this is how you have life, is because of what you are doing. Hey, those things are good and great, but you have life today because of Jesus Christ. Life is in Him. Your physical life is in Him, and your spiritual life is in Him. He is the source of life. Think about the greatness of our Creator. Now, really, I want you to think about it, all right? Matter of fact, let me help you think about it. Robert Wells is a children's book author, and he wrote a book entitled, Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing There Is? And he helps us to get a glimpse of the greatness of a creator. So, so here I want you to think about this, all right? Y'all ready to think just a little bit this morning? 
All right, think about it. The largest animal on earth is the blue whale. Just the flippers on its tail are bigger than most animals on the earth. But a blue whale isn't anywhere near as big as a mountain. So if you put 100 blue whales in a huge jar, if you were able to do that somehow, listen, you could put millions of these jars of blue whales inside a hollowed-out Mount Everest. Y'all, y'all tracking? All right. But Mount Everest isn't anywhere near as big as the earth. So if you stacked 100 Mount Everest on top of one another, it would be just a whisker on the face of the earth. And the earth isn't anywhere near as big as the sun. You could fit one million earths inside of the sun. But the sun is a medium-sized star. It isn't anywhere near as big as a red supergiant star like Antares. 50 50, 50, 50 million of our suns could fit inside of a medium-sized star of Antares. But understand this, that this star, Antares, isn't anywhere near as big as the Milky Way galaxy. That billions of stars, including supergiants like Antares, as well as countless comets and asteroids, they make up the Milky Way galaxy. But the Milky Way galaxy isn't anywhere near as big as the universe. There are billions of other galaxies in the universe, and yet filled with billions of galaxies, the universe is almost totally empty. And so the distance from one galaxy to another galaxy are beyond our imagination. And Jesus created it all. He created it all. But listen, not only is he the creator of the vast, huge universe that we just described, but he is also the creator of the tiny atom. The small atom. One atom. Listen, let's go back to your science days. One small atom made of protons, neutrons, neutrons, and electrons. I'll get it right. One atom is hundreds of thousand times thinner than a human hair. Beloved, listen. Jesus, the greatness of our creator, the greatness of his creation, is that he holds the atom together. And he holds the universe together because he made it all And you want to know what else? He holds you together because he made you. Amen? Boy, what a creator. Amen? The greatness of our God. And he knows each of these specifically, and he knows you. Oh, we are to be in awe of his greatness because he is God. He is the creator. He is Jesus, and he is great. So let us see the Savior in this selfie world. Thirdly, we want to see the greatness of his incarnation. So now try, try to fathom this. We've just talked about who Jesus is as the creator and all that he has created from the vast universe to the tiny atom. And now we look at verse 14 and 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. This one, the one who is God, the one who created all of the vast universe, 
and and created you became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us. Those are the key words. Now, just, just let that sink in. Amen? Just let that sink in. The one who created the blue well and the Mount Everest and the earth and the sun and the supersized sun and the galaxies, all of that in the whole universe, and yet the atom and holds it all together, that one became flesh and dwelt among us and walked on this earth. Wow. Amen. Wow. The greatness of his incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word there that says that he dwelt among us means that he tabernacled. Or it means a pitched tent. So you have to think about John is thinking about the Old Testament. He is thinking of the Old Testament tabernacle. That prior to the building of the temple in the Old Testament, God dwelt among his people in the tabernacle in the wilderness. You remember this? If you go back to Exodus chapter 29 and verses 42 through 46, the Lord there says to Moses these things. He says this, that this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. This is God to Moses, to the children of Israel. Go meet you at the tabernacle to speak with you there. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle and be sanctified by my glory. And I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them for I am the Lord their God. The Bible here says that the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. So Jesus now, John is saying, Jesus is God's new tabernacle. That God in Jesus dwelt among his people. That the man living with the disciples was God incarnate. We know him as Emmanuel, God with us. Y'all following me this morning? So John says, and we beheld his glory. We go back to to 43 in Exodus 29. We see that he says that, that I will meet you to... Uh, and speak to you, but the children, the children of Israel, that I'll be in the tabernacle, that I shall be sanctified by my glory while I'm there. And so here we see in verse 14, he says that John says, wait, we beheld his glory. The word glory here is often called the Shekinah glory because Shekinah denotes in the tent. It means glory in the tent. And if you move further in the Old Testament into Exodus chapter 40, John has to be thinking about what took place at the tabernacle of meeting. For in chapter 40, verse 34 of Exodus says, that Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory, there's that word again, of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So what John is saying here is that he is claiming to have seen what Moses saw in the glory, but even more. In that God has become flesh, and this God made flesh, Jesus has made God known. That God has made himself known by the entry of Jesus Christ, his eternal word, into the world. So what is this glory that John has seen? He has seen Christ's divine greatness, his shining more splendor. He's probably thinking about the transfiguration. He's probably thinking about the miracles that Jesus did. But more than likely, he's also thinking about when Jesus, who had been crucified and died upon a cruel cross, rose again bodily from the grave. We have seen his glory. 
be in awe of the greatness of his revelation that Jesus is God and the creation is what all he has created in us and that he is the incarnation, that he is God who has dwelt among us. And then the fourth sub-point is to see the greatness of his salvation. Now here's something else that's hard for us to grasp. Look at verses 9 through 13. That was the true light, Jesus, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Man, that ought to blow our minds, don't you think? The creator has come to dwell among the creation, and the creation does not recognize the creator. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He's the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. God in the flesh dwelt among us, and yet the creation did not know the Creator. But here's the thing that we understand, is that he knew that before he left the splendor of heaven. Right? He knew that before he left the glory, the majesty, and the splendor of heaven to come and to dwell among us. Why in the world would Jesus, why would God come in the flesh and dwell among us? Well, here is the culmination and the purpose of the gospel. He came so that we might become children of God. He came so that we might be reconciled to our Father who is in heaven. He came so that we might have and know what is real life. And so the key word as we look at the greatness of his salvation, looking at all those verses there, 9 through 13, I think the key word for thinking about words is gave. How he gave there in verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. As we receive him by faith, trusting Jesus, believing in him, he gives us the right to be children of God. God gives, God gave. It's the supernatural work of God. Here's the greatness of our salvation. By God's grace, he gave his son. And in giving his son, he gives us the right to be his children. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son. And then we find here that he gave us the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, the greatness of his salvation, the grace of God toward us. If we believe in his name, we trust him by faith, he gives us the right to become his children, to be born again, to be washed in the blood, to be made right with our creator. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? The greatness of our salvation, when we believe in his name, the Bible says, what does that mean to believe in his name? To believe in his name means to believe in the person because the name stands for the person. So what is that name that we are to believe in? Well, it's the name that vibrates in this passage even though that name is not mentioned specifically until we get to verse 17. It's that name that calls us to repentance. It's that name that one day will bend the knee of every soul. It's that name that has power. It's that name that changes lives. It's that name that gives us hope or the greatness of salvation in his name. And so what is his name? His name is Jesus. There is no greater name than the name of Jesus And the greatness of his salvation is that even though we do not deserve his love or deserve his grace, he has bestowed it 
upon us with his gracious love for us. Understand this. Nothing you do, hear me clearly, nothing you do, nothing you have done, and nothing you will ever do determines God's love for you. His love for you, listen, his love for you was determined before time began and was demonstrated for you on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And then we see in verse 16, John says, And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. He's saying, look, this fullness means superabundance and completeness. So John says, saying, look, I have never found Jesus to be lacking in any way. And by grace we're saved, and it's through grace that we live. And this grace is never exhausted, but rather what we have is a layer upon grace upon grace that we receive from him. No matter how many times he forgives you of your sin, God is not exhausting his grace to you. His grace continues to overflow. Amen? Praise the Lord. And you know what? John never got over that. John never got over the grace of God. John never got over the love that Jesus had for him. For he would write the epistles of John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Later in his life, he would say these words. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. We are to be in awe of his greatness. The greatness of his revelation, the greatness of his creation, the greatness of his incarnation, and greatness of his salvation. There's an old song that was sung years ago. Just the chorus of that song, the words go like this. For he is more wonderful than my mind can conceive. He's more wonderful than my heart could believe. He goes beyond my highest hopes and fondest dreams. He's everything that my soul ever longed for. Everything he promised and so much more. More than amazing, more than marvelous, more than miraculous. He's more wonderful. And that's what Jesus is to me. Be in awe of the greatness of our God. Amen. Let us turn our attention away from our selfish selves and turn it toward only Jesus who is worthy of our praise, honor, and, and awe of him. Secondly, now we come to the second point. All right, see, I told you. Be active for his glory. Here's the second point. Be active for his glory. So as we recognize that we're in awe of who Jesus is, in awe of his greatness, then it causes us to respond. We're to be active for his glory. And so how do we respond to who Jesus is? Well, we saw just a few minutes ago uh, what it is that some people have done. Some rejected him even though he's the creator. The creation didn't receive him. But also while others did believe in him. The question is, which one are you? Are you one who has received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? The one who's called upon him and asked him to save your soul? Which one are you? Or have you rejected him? But then we also see our response if we believe. Pick up verse, verse 5. It says, The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So if there was a key word here, it would be witness. We, like John the Baptist, are to bear witness to the light. 
not John the Baptist was not pointing to himself. Rather, he was pointing to Jesus. And so here's what we know. This is what we knew that John the Baptist knew. That Jesus is the eternal word, God in the flesh, but that John was a man. He knew that Jesus, the word, was with God, but John was sent from God. That John is a witness to the light, but Jesus is the light. Beloved, listen. In the selfie world in which we live today, we often think that we are God's gift to the world. You see, we think that the world needs me. Now, we will never say that because we know what ostracizing we will receive when we say something like that. But we think the world needs me. The people in my world need me because of all that I contribute to my job, all that I contribute to my church, all that I contribute to my family, and it, or because I'm such a kind person or a gentle person or a good person. The world needs me. I am God's gift to the world. But here is the truth. We are nothing apart from Jesus Christ. We are nothing apart from him. We're not to be tooting our own horn or pointing people to see how good and godly I am, but rather what are we supposed to be doing? We're to be pointing people to Jesus and to realize that apart from him, I am nothing. I am not God's gift to the world. No, Jesus is. Jesus is God's gift to the world, and he is our everything. Amen? He's the true light which gives light in the darkness. And so our response then Knowing that he's the true light, we're to reflect that light. To reflect that light to those who do not know the Lord as Savior. We need to do that in our world. Hey, how about let's do that with our neighbors. Let's point our neighbors to the Lord. Y'all remember Jean-Marc. Uh, Jean-Marc Princeville, who is in Quebec, one of our church planters we're partnering with there. Back at Halloween, he sent me as well as uh, uh, several other people... A, a short video, and we've trimmed it up just even more, at Halloween, something that they were doing at their home to reach their neighborhood for Christ. Remember, Quebec is a very dark place. And so they, they put up a, a, one of those uh, pop-up tents and served hot dogs and hot chocolate and had just had their neighbors to come over. So I just want to show you real quick, just a couple, 20 seconds or so clip of Jean-Marc doing this. It's good to be a light in the darkness. It is happening now. Man, you just got to love that guy, man. He just wants to be a light in the darkness, and it's happening now. Man, I love that. Brothers and sisters, listen, we are to be light in the darkness, and it needs to happen now, amen, to point our neighbors to the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives and through our words. And you say, well, Pastor, boy, that, that's, you know, I understand that. I don't suppose, but I don't really know how to even begin. Well, today we want to show you something that will help you to begin, how you can begin the process, the strategy of telling your people, your, your neighbors about Jesus. But it all starts, it has to start with you praying for your neighbors, okay? 
And so there's a strategy that's put out by an, uh, our Southern Baptists here in Virginia. A lot of churches in our, in our proximity and in, our, in all of the state of Virginia are doing this same strategy. It's called Bless Every Home, where you can know the, the people who are in your, on your street and in your communities and how you can make a commitment and you can begin to pray for them. So watch this real quick clip as well about Bless Every Home. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees. We can use the technology of today and use it as a harvest tool to reach souls for Christ. And now we have this incredible tool, BlessEveryHome.com. Sign up free at BlessEveryHome.com and you'll receive a map and list of your neighbors along with the tools to pray for them by name, care for, and share the gospel with them. You can even highlight your pray, care, share journey with each neighbor home using the colored icons. Each neighbor home has its own journal. You can also choose to receive scheduled reminder emails with the next five neighbor homes to pray for that day. What are we waiting on? The harvest is now. Our prayer is that by the end of 2020, every single home in America is being prayed for by name. Join Bless Every Home and see how prayer can change your community. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. And so if you sign up to blesseveryhome.com, you go in and say that, put in your address and say, I'm going to be a light here in my community. It'll then send you on a daily, or you can set that up how you want it to come to you, and they'll send you names of your neighbors and their address of them where they are so that you can pray for them by name. Sometimes it even gives you a suggested prayer. But to begin to pray for your neighbor. Now, I know what you're thinking. How do they know who my neighbors are? <laughs> because if they know who my neighbors are, they know who I am. Well, whether you realize it or not, it, they use the same technology that the Forbes 500 uh, companies use. Let me ask you a question. Y'all ever get junk mail? You ever wonder how they get your name on your address? It's the same technology. They use those to figure out instead of what kind of junk mail we can send them. Let's use it to pray for them. Amen? To pray for our neighbors. So we're going to encourage you to do that. I don't want you to do that right now. Just go ahead. Just stop right now if you're getting ready to type that in. I want you to, at the end of the service or this week uh, to go to blesseveryhome.com and sign up. And there's a way also that you can connect with our church so that you see that you're part of our church doing this. And we'll send that out on social media this week. If you don't have computers, there's a way we can give you a listing as well. So you just need to let us know that as well. But we are to respond to the greatness of our God. Because of who He is and what He has done, we can't just sit back and do nothing. We are His people. We have been saved by His grace. We've been washed in His blood. We have hope now and the assurance of heaven. Amen? And so we have received Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. Then what are we doing about that? But we are to be a light to those who are in darkness. We are in awe of His greatness. It's not about us. It's all about Him. So we're to be active for His glory in our actions, our reactions, our interactions, and in praying. Will you be so full of Jesus that He's the one that people will see? When they see you. Will you be so full of him. That you cannot help. But to point people to him. The song we heard a few minutes ago. From the praise band during the offering. 
I asked Brian them to sing that. That's the song that sort of spurred me on with this series about only Jesus. But there's a, there's a sentence or two there that says this. I have only one life to live. I want every second to point to him. Only Jesus. You don't need to remember me. I don't need to leave a legacy. Only Jesus. Amen? Two things to do real quick. Number one, either reject or receive Christ. The one that we're talking about, the eternal word, who is Jesus, he is the creator, he's your creator. You have an opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior. To not receive him is to reject him. If you do not know him as Lord and Savior of your life, you can do that in a step of faith. The Bible tells us we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We turn from our sin. We turn to Jesus Christ in humble repentance. We embrace believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave, and we profess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. It's a step of faith where we're trusting that what Jesus did, He did for us. That He is God in the flesh. That He came to save me from my sin. And He's the way of righteousness. Trusting Him by faith. Receive Him today if you've not done that. And then once you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then begin reflecting that light. Begin reflecting the light. Did you know that in World War II, when they were doing the blackouts in London, that on a clear night, one lighted match could be seen for 20 miles from the air? Isn't that phenomenal? But that just goes to show you what a little light can do in a world of darkness. Amen? Beloved, I don't know about you, but I want to be that light. Amen? Let's reflect the light of Jesus, who is worthy of all awe of his greatness. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and lives. We come to this time of invitation. Lord, that you would stir our hearts to be the people of God you want us to be, to, to receive you by faith if we've never done that today, for those who may have never trusted you as the Lord and Savior of their lives. We pray, Father, that for those of us who have done that, who already know you as Lord and Savior, that we would remember that this is all about you. Our lives are not about us. It's all about you, that you are our life. Life is in you, and that we want to appoint people to you. So, Lord, help us to be a part of that, to reflect the light, to reflect your light to this world of darkness. May you guide us, Lord, now as we come to those times of decision, to make those commitments, to be faithful, to follow through. Lord, we love you. We pray now that you'd have your way in every heart and every life as we come to this invitation. Lord, we'll come and just pray here silently at the altar on these steps or either take one of these pastors by the hand. And Lord, that we'd make commitments of following hard after you because you are Jesus and you are God and you are great. And we follow and worship you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand as we...